The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. We rejoice in that. We sing our praises to the Lord. And now the time comes when we want to hear God speak to us. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Last week we started a brand new study. We're going we're gonna to go through 1 Thessalonians together. And it's the study about what it looks like to be a, a kingdom person. And, and last week we only did three verses. We talked about... The kingdom people get that there's a spiritual family. And the Bible word for, for the spiritual family is church. And so kingdom people are church people. Kingdom people are people of prayer. Kingdom people are people of faith, love, and hope. And at the end of last week's sermon, I asked you as the brothers and sisters of Christ who call Emmanuel your home, I asked you to come and sign these boards, which are up right here around the stage, and, and your signature was just, a, uh, you're going to covenant with your church family to say, I want to be a kingdom person. And, and honestly, in the three services, we, we had what I would call almost 100% participation. If you weren't here last week, or you didn't get to sign it, there are a couple of boards on Main Street, and we want you to sign that. And some people just sign their name. Some people wrote a, a, a verse or a sentiment. Some people talked about what God was doing in their lives or why they needed to sign that. And it was, a, it was a blessed time for us as a church family that together, the people of God, we would say, we want to be a kingdom people. But I know, because I know the human experience, and if this, is, if this tells you anything about me in terms of how I prepare to lead you in a Bible study or present God's Word to you, what I do nine times out of ten is I take what God says to me, and I, I just believe that you and I are more alike than different. So whatever he says to me, I, I kind of think that, that you, can, you can take that word as well, and he says that word to you as well. And so part of what I realized last week as I prayed over and watched you sign this, I knew some people were signing their name. I knew in their heart, their desire was, I want to be a kingdom person but at the same time, I know that there were probably many in their mind, there was a doubt. In their mind, there was like, I, I want to be a kingdom person, but I don't think I can measure up. I, I don't think I can be a kingdom person. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I can ever be everything that God wants me to be. I don't think I can do everything that God wants me to do. And so with that in mind this morning, I feel a little bit like the angels on Christmas Eve I have good news of great joy for you. Here's what I want you to understand. Being a kingdom person is less about what you do and more about receiving from the Lord all that he's already done for you. I want to say it again because it's, it's the premise of the whole sermon. If you, if you get this, you're going to get the, ver- the two verses that we're going to read this morning. Being a kingdom person isn't you checking off the list. Sometimes we, we think of religion as, I read my Bible today, I, I prayed today, I shared my faith today, I attended church, I, I put something in the offering plate. 
And there are two problems with that kind of religious experience. Problem number one is a bunch of us can't check the boxes. And, and so we feel deficient and we feel guilty and maybe we even feel condemned. And, and the legalism just kind of dries our soul. Like, is that all there is to life is checking the boxes? And the other problem is some of us check all the boxes every day and we kind of like, hey, God, look at me. Aren't you glad to have me on your team? And so whether it turns into self-righteousness or whether it just turns into self-condemnation, that's never what God intended our relationship with him to be. And so knowing that, what he did is he did all the work for us. Receiving salvation, Romans chapter 5 says, is a free gift. In fact, five times in Romans chapter 5, it calls our salvation the free gift of God. You see, being a kingdom person is less about what you do and more about receiving what God has done for you. And if you can get that, it will it'll set you free. It'll change your life. Like the shepherds that night when the angel said, good news of great joy, their lives were changed when they found a Savior, a, a baby lying in a manger. And this same Savior goes to the cross for us. And he shed his blood for us. And he does the work for us. He buys salvation for us. He pays the sin debt. He goes uh, uh, to the grave. And then he proves that he has the power to do that because he takes his life back up again. Here's how 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 reads. I want to begin in verse 2. Last week we looked at verse 2 and 3. We'll just use it as a springboard to look at verses 4 and 5 this morning. The Apostle Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Last week the point was, kingdom people are a praying people. Verse 3, We remember before our God and Father your work of faith. Kingdom people have a faith that works. Your labor of love. Kingdom people put love and faith together. And your steadfastness of hope, that enduring hope. Last week we talked about this. This little triad appears in Scripture all the time together. The most famous passage is 1 Corinthians 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. We know from Galatians 5, 6 that uh, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Last week we talked about the fact that a person claims to have faith and they don't have love, it's not real faith. A person claims to have love but they don't have faith, it's not real love. They always come together. This brings us to this morning's Bible study, verse 4. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So this morning, as you look at this passage, which I've just read, what you discover is not what we do for God so that we can gain entrance into the kingdom. God's already done that through his son, Jesus Christ. He's already done that. He invites us into the kingdom to be children of the king, that we can be children of God. He invites us to receive salvation. So what is it that we receive from him? Well, the first thing that we see that God's already done for us, the work that God's accomplished for us, is that we are loved by God. You see that there in verse 4? Brothers loved by God. The word brothers is a, it's an old phrase like mankind. It doesn't just Mankind doesn't just mean men. It's not mankind. It's, it's womankind. It's human humankind. And so brothers is the brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about the family of God again. And we are 
loved by God. There are several Greek words for love that we use in the English language. Uh, One of those words is eros. Eros is where we get the English word erotic. It's It's a romantic love. It's a sexual love. It's a physical affection. One of those Greek words is phileo. Phileo is a brotherly love. It's, a, it's the love that a family has for each other, brothers and sisters and moms and dads. And it's where we get the, the name Philadelphia, Phileo, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. If you've ever been there, you know that it doesn't quite measure up. But there's a third word in the New Testament, and that's the word agape. And agape is God's love. In fact, the only way a person can love with agape love is that God's love must flow through them. We can't can't manufacture it up on our own. We can't conjure it up. It has to flow by the Holy Spirit of God living in us. And agape love is interesting because it is, number one, unconditional. God loves you unconditionally. It's not based on what you do or who you are or anything about you. In fact, you can be the worst person on the planet, and I can say, based on the authority of God's word, that God agape loves you. It's an unconditional love. But the second thing about it is it's everlasting. It, it doesn't end. It's not, it it doesn't, doesn't stop. So unconditional speaks to the depth of it. Everlasting speaks to the length of it. And it's talked about in the Bible as loving kindness, meaning that it's both God's attitude and his actions. And so God loves us with an agape love. And you and I were made to receive that. We are made stamped with the image of God on our souls. So that just eros love isn't enough for our souls. Just family phileo love isn't enough for our souls. We were made, we were designed. There's a vacuum in our heart that can only be filled with the agape love of God. And God does that work. So the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God in 1 Thessalonians, says about kingdom people, you are loved by God. Well, what did you do? What did you do to get that love? What did you do to gain that love? What do you do to keep that love? The answer is nothing. You just receive it. We are loved by God, an everlasting love. The Scripture talks about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. In Romans chapter 5, it says that God loved us while we were still sinners. Christ Jesus died for us. The scripture says in Romans 8, what will separate us from the love of God? And it says in verse 37, in all these things, he lists a whole bunch of things. And then he says, nothing can separate us from God's love. And he actually says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that God in his rich mercy, why? Why is God merciful to us when we, when we deserve hell, when we deserve the consequence of our sin? Why is he merciful to us? It says in, in Ephesians 2.4, the richness of God's mercy is poured out because of his great love with which he loved us. In fact, this is, this is really how you know God's people, because they love one another. Jesus says this is our, this is our trademark, this is our copyright, this is our patent. We, people know that we belong to him by the way that we love one another. And all it is, is the love that God shed abroad in our hearts. It flows into our lives. 
It changes our lives. It flows through our lives and out of our lives toward each other. And all we do is receive it. That's part of being a a kingdom person. You don't do that. You just receive it. There's a second part of that same sentence, though. He says, brothers, you are loved by God. And the second thing he says is, you are chosen by God. Now, some people get afraid of this doctrine about the fact that God chooses us. But what it, what it really means is that God loves us with a particular love. It means he loves us with a specific love. Some of you have heard me say this before. Let me say it this way. God loves you in such a way that if you were the only one on this person, if you were the only person on this planet who sinned, God loves you so much, Jesus would have come and died for you. You see, we think sometimes that God created the world. He started it spinning. It goes around the sun. And then he moved back beyond the galaxies, beyond the universe. And then we just kind of live lives on our own. But that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that God wants to be personally, intimately involved in your life. And he chooses you. In fact, when we think about the story of salvation, it wasn't like God created Adam and Eve and then they sinned. And then when they sinned, he went, oh no, what do I do now? It wasn't a moment where God said, now I've got to come up with a plan of salvation. When you read the Bible, it's very clear that long before God ever said, let there be light, he knew Adam and Eve would sin. He knew you would sin. He knew I would sin. And he already planned that Jesus would come and go to the cross. And so the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? It means that when your time came to be on this earth, God was, he was directing his love to you and for you and drawing you that he might choose you. I love the, I love the picture of being chosen by God. Remember when you were in grade school and there was that moment, maybe a playground where they're going to play kickball and they're choosing up teams. Or maybe it was in the classroom and they choose up sides for a spelling bee or a math contest. Or, or maybe there was a friend in your, in your classroom and, and uh, his or her mom said, well, we only have room for 10 kids to come to the birthday party. You have to choose which 10 those are. Do you remember those days? Maybe some of you had some experiences like me where you weren't first chosen for kickball or second or third. Maybe you weren't chosen. You ever had one of those experiences where both sides pick all the kids and they're even? There's one kid left? You take him. No, you take him. No, you take him. We don't want him. Or let's be honest. How many of you were chosen first for the spelling bee? Can I see your hands? That's what I thought. Or maybe when the 10 were chosen for the birthday party, you didn't make the list. It's not just grade school, is it? We grow up. We get a little older. Parents divorce and separate. And we never see one of them really ever again. They didn't really choose to stay with us. Or, or maybe yours was the experience. Yours was the divorce. And you were rejected by a husband or a wife. Or the boss said to you, you're not going to get the promotion. Or later, they maybe even said to you, you're going to get laid off. And in life, you know what it's like to not be chosen. You know what it's like to not be picked. You know what it's like to be rejected. Just as every heart has the imprint of God on it and desires to be loved by God, every heart desires to be picked, chosen. And how does God choose you? He chooses you as if you're the only one. I can say to you, you're his favorite. Somehow in his infinite omnip- uh, om- omnipotency, 
We're all his favorite. And he loves every one of us, and he chooses us. That's the blessing of God. What do you do with that? Do you earn it? No, you just receive it as a free gift. You receive his love. You, re- you receive his blessing. There's something else in here as well. Look at it. He says, I know, brothers, verse 4, loved by God, that he's chosen you. I know this because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power. The first thing that I, the third thing I want you to see that God does in our lives is he not only loves us, he not only blesses us, but he also empowers us with the gospel. Let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. It wasn't just any old death. It was a substitutionary death. He died what should have been my death. He died what should have been your death. He went to the cross to make the payment for our sins, the ransom for our souls. He paid that off. And he proved that he had the power to do that because he rose again. Someone could say, how do you know that Jesus' death pays for your sins? There's a whole bunch of people that died. Napoleon died. Abraham Lincoln died. How do we know they didn't die for your sins? Because they didn't rise again from the grave. You can go to Napoleon's grave. You can go to Abraham Lincoln's tomb. You can go to his memorial. They, They didn't take their life back up again. If someone can lay down their life and take it up again, that proves that they have the power to do what they said they could. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He says to Martha, if you believe in me, you will never die. Do you believe this? This is the power of the gospel. Our friends don't get this. They don't understand it. They don't understand the power of the gospel. They think that what we do here is religion. They think it's kind of a man-made club. It's a it's some religious version of the Elks Club or the Kiwana Club or a country club. They they don't they don't really get it at all because they don't understand the power of it. But we understand that. If we stopped right now and we went around the room, you could tell your testimonies, you could tell your story. This is what my life looked like before Christ. I was lost in darkness. I was lost in my sin. I didn't have purpose. I didn't have direction. I was destitute in that. I was depressed by it. I, 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 was, I couldn't figure out, was there more to life than earning some money to buy some food, to get some energy, to go to work, to earn some money, to buy some food, to get some energy? And there's nothing outside of Christ. But the power of the gospel changes us. It forgives us when we don't deserve to be forgiven. It changes everything about us. The Apostle Paul literally says, we know what happened in your life. We know it wasn't just mere words. Because mere words can't do that. You know, this thing that happens here, the, those that don't know the power of the gospel, they think that you come in here and I shout at you and you like it. They, they, don't, they, they, they think it's just words. But there are no human words. I can never be eloquent enough. I could never be persuasive enough to do what the Holy Spirit does in your life when by that power... He takes you from darkness to light. He takes you from an orphan to the child of the king. He takes you where you were headed to hell, and now your eternal destiny is heaven. And he sends you his Holy Spirit. And those of us who have experienced that, and who used to be in darkness and are now in light, we know the difference. Amen? This is who we are. I got an amen from the young one. That's good. So so this is the this is the power of the gospel. And again, the scripture talks all about it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you, and you will receive 
power to be my witnesses. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, the, the cross is foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, your faith was not in human wisdom, the wisdom of men, but it was in the power of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, the kingdom of God is not about talk, it's about power. The mistake that people make is they think, okay, I give my life to Christ, so now I know I'm going to heaven when I die. But God's so far away, and there's so many people, and the 7 billion people on the planet, and he's got to be too busy for me, so I just have to muck it out and grind it out on my own. That's not what he intended. He intended that you would know and live and experience the life-changing, supernatural, divine, comes-from-God power that only a Christian can know. What do you do? Do you conjure that up? Do you manipulate that? No, no. You can only receive it. So this is the work that God does. God does the work of love. God does the work of blessing us. God does the work of empowering us. And part of how he does that is he not only gives us, look back at your scriptures again. He says he gives us the gospel that came to us, not only in word but in power, but it also came in the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing that God does for us that has nothing about the works that we do is that God does this. He sends us his Holy Spirit to indwell us. Now, the moment of salvation is an incredible thing, and it's a moment. It's a moment of salvation. In that moment when you turn to God, in the moment where you confess your sins, in the moment where by faith you believe in him and you trust in him, in that moment, your sins are gone. Gone in that moment. Farther, the scripture says, farther than the east is from the west. In that moment, heaven becomes your eternal home. In that moment, not only are your sins are gone, but God gives you his righteousness. And you now have the righteousness of Jesus. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you and live in you for, for all the rest of your days. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's an incredible thing when we stop to just analyze what happens all in that moment. It can be done by a child. A child's old enough to realize that he's a sinner and what God's done for him. And God does all of that in that moment. But in the moments that follow, we forget that we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. The Corinthian church forgot this, so Paul writes to them about it. And he says, don't you know that you were bought with a price and that you don't belong to you and that the Holy Spirit of God indwells you and that your body is the temple of God. See, we forget that we have God all the time. We forget that we have all of God all the time. The question isn't how much of God do you have? The question is how much of you does God have? We are the temple of God, but do you live like a temple? Do you live like a holy place? Do you take care of your body the way you would take care of it if it had the presence of Jesus there? What do your eyes look at when you go on the internet? What websites? What movies do your eyes watch? Do do you watch the things that you should watch with Jesus indwelling you, with the Holy Spirit? What words do you say? Do Do you speak out of the holiness of the indwelling Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is called holy for a reason. He moves us away from sinfulness to be more like God, more like the holiness of God. But the reality is we forget this, don't we? So what is it that happens there? Do, do we have to like, do I have to like be good enough? Do I get like 
25% of the Holy Spirit, and then if I'm better, I get 50% of the Holy Spirit, and if I'm better, I get 75, and I'm better, I get 100? No. Every believer, every believer of every nation, every race, and every language, in the moment that they're saved, gets all of the Holy Spirit of God. All you have to do is receive him. And your life is lived out simply because you realize you're a kingdom person. You, you, belong, you belong to the king. And you remember that the Holy Spirit indwells you, and it changes how you act, changes what you do. You don't do something to get the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit, and he changes you to do something different than you've ever done before. Paul describes that, and he says, the things I used to want to do, I don't want to do anymore. And the things I used to never want to do, that's what I want to do. What's he describing? The indwelling work of the Holy Spirit of God that we receive as a free gift. Well, when I first read this passage, I thought there were four things that God did. He loved us, he chose us, he empowered us, and he gave us his Holy Spirit. And I thought the last thing was the thing that we did as a response. But as you read the passage, it's really clear that God does the last thing as well. Look at it again. He says, brothers, loved by God, I know that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Uh, conviction is a Bible word, and it has both a, it has both a uh, meaning towards negative things and a meaning towards positive things. One of the ways the Bible uses the word conviction or convict is that when we sin, we are convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a, it's a miserable feeling, quite honestly, so that we don't continue to do the things that would destroy our lives. Many people feel that misery. They feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they misdiagnose it. That's a, it's an emotion they feel, and they think, oh, I've sinned, and I feel miserable. God doesn't love me anymore. And they, and they actually come to a completely wrong conclusion. You can't do anything to cause God to stop loving you. He, he will always love you. Agape love, it's unconditional, it's everlasting. So what is it that you feel? If God didn't take his love away, what is it that I feel? Well, I was walking with God. I was walking with God with purpose and in, in joy and communion and perfection. And then I decided I would just go my own way. And when I turned away from that, I lost the joy of walking with Jesus. That's what you feel. You can't, you can't walk to destruction. You can't do the things that are bad for you and feel joyful about that. So, so understand what's happening. When you sin, God doesn't stop loving you. What you feel is you don't have the joy of walking with the Lord. And if you'll just turn around and you'll rejoin him, all of that joy will resume again. So part of conviction is I'm convicted when I do the wrong thing. But the word conviction also has a positive connotation. It means assurance. It means certainty. And so I could also say there are things for, about which I have really powerful convictions. These are certainties. These are assurances in my life. One man once said, a conviction isn't something that you hold. It holds you. There are things in my life that are non-negotiable. They are certainties in my life. How did I come up with these non-negotiables? Did I sit around by my own intellect and think them up? Did I, did I produce them by my own experience? 
Some people do, but that's not enough. The convictions that we have that will carry you through life come from the Word of God. They come from the designer who designed us, and he knows what he designed us to do. And if we take the certainties, sometimes they're called commandments or instructions or admonitions, the certainties of these things, and we live by them as our convictions, they hold us, they protect us, and they keep us. And that wonderful feeling of assurance isn't anything that I conjure up. It's what God gives me because I walk with him. And so, you see, even God gives us assurance. Some of us sit around and go, oh, I I wish I was saved. I'd like to be saved. I'd like to think that I'm saved. And we don't have any assurance. It's because we're not really walking with him. If we walked with him, we'd know his joy and we'd know his assurance because he just gives it. You can just receive it from him. Now, I want you to think this through for a second. Last week, a whole bunch of us signed. I, I hope if you're here this week and you weren't, you'll sign in the, you'll sign in the Main Street. You, you want to be a kingdom person. But as we sign that, does that mean, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Am I going to do the stuff where I check all the boxes? No, that's not what I'm asking you to do. You know what I'm asking of you this morning? I'm asking you to receive what God has already done for you. I'm asking you to receive his love. Quit fighting against it. Quit kicking against it. Receive his love. He's chosen you to receive his blessing. I'm asking you, receive his blessing. Put yourself in a place where you can receive that blessing. He wants to empower you. He didn't save you that you could live a powerless life of mediocrity. That's not why you're saved. He called you to live a life, abundant life, a powerful life. Just do a Bible study on power. Find everywhere where it's mentioned, and you'll discover God meant for you to experience this power. He he meant for you to know and experience the ongoing, always abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and that you could walk with full assurance, conviction in your life. You say, boy, this is all the stuff that I want, Paul. This 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 is what I believe in. What do I do? Receive it. It's a free gift to you. The Apostle Paul says, just as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. It looks just like that. So this morning... How silly it would be for me, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be silly for me to tell you, hey, this is what you should do, receive it, now go away? No, no, let's stop right here and now, and let's receive what God has for us. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've never received Jesus. That's the beginning place. You can't really receive his love and his blessing and his Holy Spirit until you've come to the cross, and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life, and you receive his free gift of salvation. You receive his forgiveness, his eternal life. This morning, that's the beginning place for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to come to you. But how many of you this morning say, Paul, I, I receive Jesus today. And you just lift your hand up, and you can put it right back down. God bless you. Anyone else? Yes, yes, God bless you. Thank you so much. Many of you in this room have already received Jesus. There's already been that day and that time and the place where you ask for the forgiveness of sins. But let's be honest, ever since then, have you been trying to do the Christian life on your own? You've been trying to do this and do that and check the box. And now this morning, maybe for the first time, you realized, oh, it's just about receiving Jesus. Just like I received him in salvation, now I choose to receive his love, his blessing, 
His Holy Spirit, His power. And this morning, once again, you would just kind of just kind of make that commitment. I receive from God that He has designed me to be a kingdom person. And you just lift your hand up and say, I want to receive that from God all over the room. God bless you. Thank you. I want to be a I want to be a kingdom person. I receive that from God. And so this morning, I, I hope I've set you free. I hope instead of you trying to, trying to battle it out and grind it out and try to be a better person, I hope this morning you realize, I just received Jesus. And when you embrace that, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you think. It changes the, the power that you have and the understanding that you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in you. And then God begins to do this incredible work in your life. Father, this morning, you've seen our hands. More importantly, you know our hearts. This morning, I pray that maybe some here for the very first time realize it's not about what they do. It's about all that you've done. And so we glory in your name. We rejoice in what you've done. We receive you as Savior. We declare you King of kings and Lord of lords, and we embrace that. Father, I pray that today some go out of this room, maybe for the first time in a long time, knowing that they're loved. Some go out of this room for the first time in a long time, knowing they're not rejected, they're chosen. Many go out of this room knowing that they are empowered by your gospel and indwelled by your spirit. Make us the kingdom people that you desire for us to be. And if you'll do this in our hearts and lives, we won't take credit for it, When someone notices that in our lives, we'll tell everybody Jesus did it and we'll give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. And we pray it in the one and only, the most precious and holy name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Here's the last word this morning in terms of a benediction. Sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, uh, we get scared about it. Um, we think, I don't know my Bible well enough. I, I don't have the right words. I, somebody asked me difficult questions. I won't be able to answer their questions. Here, here's what I want you to know. The, sharing our faith isn't about out-debating someone or being able to answer all their questions. Every person on this planet was made to receive God's love. Every person on this planet was made to receive God's grace and his mercy, to know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And they desperately want it. They long to be loved. They long to be chosen and blessed by God. And you have that. You have the ability to say, here's the love of God and all you have to do to receive it. See, we really don't debate people to Jesus. We love people to Jesus. And when they see that love in you, they may even come to you and say, you have something that I don't have. And when you share that, what are you sharing? Well, you're like one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find bread. Maybe that'll take all of that off of you. There are people who want to be loved, and you know that God loves them. Go and share that this week. Have a great day, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.